relationships. Our lives revolve around them. Family, friends, work or romance. They are complicated and messy. And don't always work out like we want. God made us for each other. Maybe he can show us a better way to be together. This is not your average relationship talk. This has not been your average relationship <laughs> talk. So thanks for the questions that came through. Uh, we've got each one of our speakers that took us through one of each of the weeks of our It's Not Your Average Relationship talk. Um, so we're just going to dive right in. Quickly, this is, um, this is Colin. Colin's. This is Colin. Kia ora. Kia ora. Yeah, we, Colin. Have, we have Eric here. G'day. Eric. Craig, our senior pastor. <laughs> and then we have Bernie. Yeah, Bernie's right here. And Michaela, the better half of the senior pastor over there. Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. But this is Michaela, one of our other senior pastors here as well. Yep. And I'm Monica. We already said that. So we're just going to jump right in on um, why a relationship series. Why did we even do this? And just a disclaimer, none of us are experts on relationships up here. We are on the journey and learning too. So um, on You can that, ask my wife to vouch <laughs> exactly. for that comment. So we are works in progress and we have relationships that are really great and some that, man, need a lot of work. And, and we're part of the problem of that. But I just want to direct this question to Colin. Oh, this Colin. was my question. Thank you very much. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Because if you start in the wrong order, we're going to be going vice versa the okay. entire the time. The debate so, has started already, and yeah, it started with the it's MCs. Yeah. Down, down yeah. It's, it's, okay, go. it's not average. So, Colin, this is a question for you. Um, you've been part of the Sunday night team and part of programming this series. Um, why so many topics, and how do they all connect? This, this is a total fair enough question. I don't know if anyone else is in there, but I thought when we designed the series, by the end, everyone's going to come out the end of it like, I thought we knew what we were talking about at the beginning. And then we started talking about like Maori and women and multicultural and Chinese. And this thing just went like on a crazy tangent. Anyone else kind of feel that way? <laughs> nope, just me. Awesome. Sweet. You guys are all good. Or Tina, you're a terrible person. Um, no, uh, so the reason is there's a logic that kind of fits into it. A lot of times we often get discussions about, hey, can we talk about a relationship series? Hey, can we talk about relationships? And often our mind naturally falls to romantic relationships, so dating or marriages, and how do we do those well? Um, but when we were planning the series, we were kind of struck with the fact that the Bible actually doesn't talk heaps and heaps and heaps about those kind of relationships. Like, it does say a few things, but instead the Bible talks a whole lot more about these wider networks of relationships and these relationships that fit within the church. And so what we thought we'd do is we take this idea of relationships but widen it to kind of the scope that the Bible looks at it in the New Testament and include specifically different groups that often don't get talked about. So if most relationship series we talk about marriage and dating, why don't we do a relationship series that picks up things we normally don't talk about? So we talked about the role of women in the church because they've often been uh, minorities, a bicultural journey, something, a key relationship that the church needs to be involved in that we often don't talk about, multicultural relationships, sex, physicality. We often don't talk about that well in church. So we try to pick all these topics that don't get a lot of attention so that we can broaden our idea of what these relationships are. And I think, for me, one of the highlights as the series has gone through is we look at all these different weeks and all these different areas of life and areas of relationship we need to focus on. And I came out um, 
both humbled but excited because there are all kinds of different people that fit into this big church that we are a part of. And to me, that's something really exciting that the church offers that very few other places in the world can really compete with. Amen. So true. Cool. Monica, you spoke on generations and you talked to us about mentors. Um, So there's a question here that says, where do I even start? It feels super awkward to ask somebody to be my mentor. What does all of this look like? So I don't know whether you want to pick that up, Monica, or if there's somebody here that has uh, a good example of a mentor in their life. Does anybody, I know, I guess the advice I would give on that is, and then someone else can jump in on that, is that to let it happen organically too, um, that as you get to meet people and as you talk to people, things like that can happen quite naturally. It is awkward to kind of go up and say, hey, to a stranger and say, hey, can you mentor me? But I would probably start just by um, just talking to someone and, you know, how you doing and getting to know it and to kind of see even if that could be kind of like a good fit. There are some mentor relationships that are very specific on, um, like, Bible learning. I know I kind of had that a little bit with Jim Hearn, um, where I would kind of meet with him, and he would kind of talk me um, through some theological stuff, and it was very intentional. Um, But we had a relationship because he would come and teach at Serious Coffee. And then it kind of transitioned to, how's your spiritual life? You still walking with Jesus? You know, and he would really um, push me on different issues like that. And I know I'm starting to even do that with J.D. John Douglas, who's our resident theologian. John, help me with this, you know. And he's a great one to even start with to ask on that. But I would love to open that up to the panel and say, who here has mentored or um, has been mentored? How did that look for you guys? Craig, I saw you nodding your head. Have you got something to? I was just agreeing with Monica. I was well. I well. I was speaking. You were you were nodding your head. So I take it you're agreeing with me too. Anyway, what were you saying, Monica? Look, mentoring, it doesn't have to be a formal relationship. It can, exactly. be, a, it can be an informal one. Yeah. Like for me, it can be having a favorite author and somebody who you admire as a leader or a, um, uh, just a, somebody who walks with the Lord might have a lot of faith and a lot of courage. And you're going, you know, I've, I like what that person has, so I want to know more about them. And so for me, there's a couple of authors that I've been able to just tap into over the years. And there are times when I'm stuck for an answer about certain things and I'll, I'll put my my favorite author hat on, I'd say, I wonder what this person would do in this environment or with this problem, which might sound a little bit corny, you know, but loving somebody from a distance. But um, what you're really doing is just trying to look for a perspective that is not yours but could be an answer to something. And for me, that's what mentoring is about. You're looking for that alternative answer that uh, could actually help you in your situation. So, um, you know, being mentored from a distance, choosing a couple of uh, good authors, they could be... They could be long dead, quite literally, uh, yeah. but they've produced something for the body of Christ that's worth tapping into. Um, a lot of people have tapped into Henri Nouwen. You yeah, know, he's um, brilliant. Fantastic uh, spiritual guy, and uh, he's an example of that. Yeah. yeah. So good. Anybody else? Go, Eric. Yeah, I think if you see someone um, that, that doesn't have to be a much older person, but it can be an older person, that, that you you admire them or you admire God's work in their life. And like Monica said, you can just engage them in conversation or just ask them a question. So mentoring might be, it could be a short moment in time. It doesn't have to be months or even years necessarily. And that's something worth thinking about. Um, When I was 19 years old, I felt the Holy Spirit uh, put me in in places of, of people that were older people, people I really respected spiritually and I would seek them out and just ask them a simple question. I'd say, you know, tell me about your relationship with God. How does it work in your life? 
And if you had one piece of advice for someone who's young, what would that be? And, and these people, they would answer those two questions, and I just did that relentlessly over at least 10 years of uh, different people that were kind of like mentor people, but that had a huge impact on my life uh, in terms of getting pearls of wisdom from people. Yeah. Sometimes it's about perspective too. Like I often um, use some very dear mentors in my life to actually go, look, I'm really struggling with this. And they would come in and give me different perspective. So that's actually um, helpful as well. When I actually first heard the word mentorship or mentor, I instantly went to Star Wars because, you know, like the Jedi thing. (laughs) And so when I first heard about it, I was like, sweet, I want some of that. But uh, I just wanted to add in, like you do have different mentors for different seasons. Some of them, sometimes you have a mentor who needs to really get alongside and challenge you. And then other times you need someone who's just going to love on you, regardless of what, what you're going through. And I've experienced both sides of that, and it's helped grow me and shape me as well. The force uh, yeah. is with you. A loving Yoda. <laughs> Definitely a loving Yoda. A loving Yoda. <laughs> and then a strict mace west window on the other side. <laughs> that is no so talk. Good. I like it. Yeah. No, brilliant. I know, I know that um, when we were in Chicago, Craig and Michaela, there was, a, there was an older guy there. What was that guy's name? That spoke about um, mentors. Gordon McDonald. Yeah. Gordon McDonald. He was amazing. Yeah, he blew he blew my mind and he just reinforced this thing, didn't he, about mentors. And he just said, you're basically you're crazy to try and go through life without mentors, mm-hmm. um, which is a, was a fresh perspective for me that he was saying, why why would you try and do it? Um, a tackle tackle life without a mentor, which was interesting to hear a guy of that calibre talking like that. And he was well into his eight, he was nearly 80, wasn't he? Mm. And uh, some of his mentors had died off. Mm-hmm. And he was literally looking now, we had created another group of mentors that yep. were younger than him mm-hmm. in some cases. You know, so he, mm. he, he was choosing to do life with people. Because mm. mm, it yeah. doesn't matter about age. And I love the yeah. fact that young ones lead up and mm. they can teach mm. you so much. And I, right. I just love that. That's right. Cool, so let's move on to the next question, shall we? Yep, go for it. So, Colin, you spoke on singleness. And so there's, a, good. there's a question here that says, dating non-Christians, or is it better... Dating non-Christians, is it better than being alone? <laughs> yeah, Colin, tell us. I mean, this is a tough one to it's talk about. because It's a great question. Yeah, like, He's sweating. Oh, I am sweating. Because <laughs> like, I, when I spoke on singleness, I'm always speaking with like, such a place of humility because I'm a married dude. So I'm no, by no means the expert in singleness. Uh, I think one of the difficulties when I hear that question, it, it always devolves into, um, historically, I've always had people jump to that verse in Corinthians where Paul's like, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't do it. It's a sin. You're, it's evil. And when, when someone jumps in with a verse like that, they pull the God card. And you lose all ability to discuss and think and understand the problem from a wider context. And so I'd probably move away from just pulling out that verse, because Paul wasn't talking about marriage specifically then anyway. Um, And I'd probably ask bigger questions of, in terms of relationship, look, obviously, some people have made it work. I mean, specifically, when you think about married couples where one of them becomes a Christian and the other one doesn't, there have been long-lasting relationships where there's been one Christian and one not. And those have happened. Um, The thing I would wonder is, Look, I think it, it just makes things a little bit extra hard for you, really. Because um, in any relationship, you're wanting to share your whole life with that person. Eh? You don't want to have to hold anything back or compartmentalize. And theoretically, our faith should be not just some side thing, but the, the core foundation of who we are, right? Like, 
in Jesus we find our identity. It's how we live and move and have our being is found in him. And if there's someone else who you really, really love that doesn't understand or share that part of your life with you, it just gets really difficult. And I think you can make it past it for a few years, but then it becomes more complicated thinking about kids. You know, when you have kids, do you pray at mealtimes? Do you take your kids to church? Do you pray with them before they go to bed at night? Is there a different routine that dad does and mom does? Or if you go away to a big conference and have God just blow your mind and really reshape some core elements of who you are, how do you come back and discuss that with someone who's not on that same page? So I wouldn't say it's something that you could never do. It's this, you're a sinner if you begin. I think I would probably just say, look, let's think about it in terms of relationships and in terms of your faith and just beware that it could be something that could be quite difficult. But being single is also quite difficult. So I think you're wanting to have an element of compassion and grace for anyone who's walking through this because hard lines don't often work well for those situations. I know that um, when Craig and I um, started going out together, um, first of all, we weren't Christians, but I became a Christian. And trying to work through that and, and our relationship was quite, quite big. In the end, I made a choice that I didn't want to marry him unless he had actually given his heart to Christ because I knew. But even then, the foundations that we'd built our relationship on needed repiling. Um, and it can make it hard, really hard. Um, I don't regret it for a moment, but, um, yeah, it's not easy. Finances, I think, eh? Finances is another thing that's going to pop up eventually. And yeah. yeah. Where you put your money and think that sort yeah. of thing. And being on the same page. I guess just from my point of view, being in women's ministry and you get to see women further along the road who have been married years for non-Christian, have been praying for them for years, and it hasn't. I just, I guess I see the grief element in that for them um, over years of doing women's ministry, you know, um, over 15 years. And seeing that women who have <clears throat> married and who were at the time and, and decided not to um, follow that marrying on Christian, just the grief element. It's so right what Colin was saying. You can't share your whole life. There's just some things you can't do. And, and that's a huge grief thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard work. We always had this saying when we were growing up in youth, you know, you go out to flirt to convert. Oh, is that right? That was, uh, that was my old church's flirt motto. Okay. Uh, wait, wait Tell motto. us about that, Penny. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I was just going to say, I was going to explain how that for you. But the, I think it actually asks another question. This, this, this question asks another question is, are Christians weird about dating? In terms of why do we feel like that, there's like that, we have to go that way rather than looking within people who believe the same thing. I know there's environments where maybe there aren't as many single, other single people and stuff like that. Um, but it does come up every now and again, kind of this weirdness of, of approach to, to dating within within Christianity and stuff as a whole. And that's a whole separate thing that we, we could, should look at some other time. Um, but no, I just want to agree with everything that Colin said. Is, and as being a person who has uh, dated a few times when I was growing up as a young person, not necessarily always for the third to convert mentality, okay, but sure, there are definitely sure. other people in my youth group who had that mentality, and I, I have seen it work, and I have sure, seen it Bernie. crush and crumble. Sure. Thank you. Um, but no, I think, I think um, yeah, it, it is really hard, especially when you're, you're young, uh, if you are in a situation where you're compromising potentially what you believe in, because you are trying to make the other person happy. You are trying to entertain a relationship where each of you like each other, and you can, it can lead to compromise, and compromise can sometimes lead to regret. Or a lot of times it leads to regret and, and doing things that you don't necessarily want to have to carry. And, and sometimes it then leads into ultimate heartbreak kind of stuff. So, 
Uh, yeah, I, I think like what what was said before and what everybody said is like it is you're not going to be like shame 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 like no nobody's can do that but it is tricky it is hard uh, to navigate. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Cool. Definitely, I guess we're we're all up here as married. We've found our husbands or our wives, but you're right. It can be so tricky for somebody yeah. that that may be struggling with this and there's. Yeah somebody there and there's loads of attraction and they're just not a Christian yet. Like it's it's easy to, to say one thing, but we, we totally understand how difficult this sort of thing is. And I think this may come back to the conversation around mentors, that this is where mentors can really help and guide you through this sort of thing. But I also think it's important to know in this context, often this understanding when people talk about this is it's don't date a non-Christian because they're bad guys and they're going to mm -hmm. take advantage of you and date a Christian because they're good. Well, we blatantly all know that's not true. Like there are some exactly. messed up Christians. Yeah. Like totally. some people speak for yourself. You would. Oh, it's so true. Speak for yourself. Get off your high horse. You yeah, well, person in church and thought, I, I would never date them ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? yep. Like, so it's, it's not from that sense of, yeah, again, trying to move that element of they're dirty or they're inherently mm -hmm. bad. There are heaps of non-Christian people who are wonderful, Amazing. loving, caring, caring people. Mm. I think it more comes back to the difficulty of sharing your whole life with someone who has a different kind of foundational level. Yeah, and, and you look at these guys. I mean, Craig got repiled, it sounds like, and, <laughs> and it, was, it was fine, and you guys you know, yeah. worked out really well. Exactly. You two guys had to marry Kiwis to find the right woman. <laughs> <laughs> See, there you go. Yeah. Exactly. Kind of true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so did you. Yeah, you? No, oh, that's Kiwi. right. Yeah. Three of us. So totally, I married a good one, too. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm very blessed. <laughs> okay, now we're going to get tricky. We've already gone there, so let's keep going there. So I know um, Bernie... You talked yes. about physicality. Yes. Um, sex. So, and yes. you, you, you said a story about how you had a friend who was too afraid to go up to you and tell you that he was having sex with his girlfriend and that he was too afraid. So what I want to know is what would you have said? Um, yeah. So it is a really tricky situation. Um, yeah, so that person, they, they came and they did tell me, but they, in the process of it, they admitted like they were terrified to do so kind of thing. And um, at the time, I wouldn't have responded as I probably would now. Probably then, because I was a lot younger and a bit more immature when it came to people's feelings and things. Um, that hasn't changed much. <laughs> but I, I, I would have gone more towards the, kind of, oh, uh, are you sure you wanted, you wanted to do that? Like, I remember when we were at high school, we found out someone had started sleeping with someone and they were our friends and stuff like that. And we kind of like excommunicated them from our group kind of thing. We kind of looked it upon it as like, you have made the worst decision of your life. You, we don't even understand it. Like, you have just gone so far out, we don't even understand it. Um, and so probably at that, that time, though they were a great friend and I, I tried to love and care for them the best I could, I wouldn't have probably given them the perspective or the loving and caring that I probably would would now. And I, and I, and I guess to answer the, the other question attached to that is, like, what do you say to someone when, they're, when they, either they come to you saying that they've had sex or they're currently in a relationship where they're having, having sex? Is it's, uh, you, can't, you can't have that uh, kind of dirty, dirty, sinful approach to it kind of thing because that's not going to help them. That's not going to foster relationships. I mean, I, under, I understand why. We live, in a, we live in a culture where it, it just promotes and promotes and promotes that uh, having sex equals intimacy. Yeah. 
And like intimacy is what every single person in this world craves for. They want to be known. They want to be loved. Uh, they, they want to be intimately loved and understood. And the culture in the world around us just promotes it as, you know, you have sex and you'll find that. You're, the best relationship you have will be the best sexual relationship you have. That's, the, that's kind of the, the, the culture and the environment we live in. And so I understand, like, when it comes to relationships, you're like, oh, I really love this person. I want to take it to the next, next level. The understanding, the common understanding is we, we should get more physical with each other. We should engage on that physical, intimate level kind of thing. But uh, it doesn't take many people to, to talk. Like when you talk to them, like uh, established married people, people who've been in relationships for a long time, for you to discover that sex is only part of what intimacy is. Exactly. It's only like a, the, the tiniest part. There's, you can't repl replace uh, the, the, the amount of friendship and the amount of love that grows between one person who truly commits themselves to another person. Um, and that, that's what I would say now is, you know, you know, I, I understand and I, I love you and I, I care for you and, you know, thank you for, for coming and, and speaking to me. But then it would be the next step conversation is like, well, how is your relationship going? Like, is there more parts to this than just that? Are there, are you guys going on dates? Are you fostering your friendship? Are you doing stuff together? Are you talking about what your dreams are together, what your plans are for life? And are you seeing things line up or are you seeing things veer apart because if they're veering apart that's a serious conversation you need to have because there is an amazing power that comes with sex not only physically but spiritually as well that connection the the, the chemistry stuff that you know that, that kind of stuff as well so kind of ties your souls together doesn't it it and does i think that's what a lot of people don't understand is that intimacy your souls get tied together yeah ab absolutely so yeah it, it is it's tricky and I, I, I understand that there may be a few people who might be misled by what I said on the, on the night, but I, that, is, that, that is truly what I believe in. I think intimacy is best held within a marriage, and intimacy is more than, more than sex. That's so good. Anybody want to add anything to that? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Craig. I'm just blown away by the fact that you said there's more to intimacy than sex. I was like, yeah. oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can have another talk afterwards yeah. if you want. Okay, 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 all right. Okay. Help with the whole repiling no, let's process. Let's move on. Yeah, right. Exactly like that. Good on you, Bernie. <laughs> Do you want to add anything more, Craig? <laughs> yeah, come on now. Do you want to add anything more? <laughs> no? no um, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> no, I think, actually, I think Bernie answered it really well. You know, um, at the end of the day, if somebody's come to you and said, look, um, I'm sleeping with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, uh, at that point, they're they're reaching out for some some help, you know, some friendship, and um, and to simply say, "Oh, mm -hmm. I'm a naughty person, you know, run away from me," um, that's not helpful at all, um, because at that point in the conversation, they've made themselves vulnerable, and we need to respect that and and work with them, not against them. Whatever it is, God has planted a seed in their life of something that says um, insincerity. I know that this is not right before God, so. You know, that, that's what we're working with. And I think it's a very vulnerable and transparent moment. So we need to, tr need to deeply respect that, that opportunity to talk into their lives. It's a privilege, really, isn't it, for somebody to come to you and, and talk with, Absolutely. with you. Yeah, and, and to take the shame mm. factor out of it. But in that, so they've come to you and they've said, I'm sleeping with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. Um, going forward, how do, what would you, advice would you give on, okay, now... How shall we live? How, what kind of boundaries do you put around that? What would you say to a young couple? Um, stop it. Or, I mean, what, what, what do you say? Do you say, um, 
you know, stay in a group? What are some helpful things that you Look, can I, say to a young couple? I know for me, you know, in these uh, 25 years or something doing this and you have these conversations, um, usually you, the person who's coming and chatting to you about this um, has already got a fair idea of what boundaries look like. And so you've got to say, what do you think is the best thing you can do? So it's not putting your best idea into their head, it's how, allowing their, their best idea to become accountable to you. And that's just really, you know, saying, I'm here to empower you in a good decision. How can I help you in that decision? You know, so um, that, that's really what it's all about. Because I will never create a relationship with Jesus for somebody. I can only help foster an environment of trust that helps them to restore their, their life and faith back into a relationship with God that is more impressive than a... Uh, an illegitimate relationship with another person, you know, because it's it's just a uh, it's an issue of who's God at that point, you know. So that's what you're trying to reawaken. Mm. I think it's also good to remember that our perspective is probably the weird one in a secular setting. If you are meeting with someone, uh, and to help someone be able to step step in and understand your perspective, you're going to have to take them step by step, rather than just like throw the the book at them kind of thing. And so. There is a really loving and guiding process, and you, you have to be understanding that they won't be able to fix it overnight. Some, or fix is a horrible word, but you know, like, um, yes, yeah, there's kind of that understanding that you have to understand where they're coming from, and then be able to, be able to lead them to where you, where your perspective is, or our, our Christian perspective is as well. There is, there is repentance. Repentance yeah. means stop, but just saying stop is not going to allow them to go oh, okay, I'll stop. You know, it's not as simple as that. It's like asking a drug addict to say, why don't you stop taking drugs? Oh, I never thought of that. Thanks for the advice. You know, it's, it's helping create a new alternative. Mm. Creating a new alternative, that's so good. Yep. It's, uh, I'll comment a bit more. It's, it's also about the, the nature of commitment, eh? Uh, my wife Karen and I, we, we do pre-marriage coaching with couples and have for about 10, 11 years. And it, it you want people to have a committed relationship that they that they're going to enjoy, and that, that God can bless their life. And invariably, you know, with with couples, if if they're involved sexually outside of marriage, uh, we we in my experience, I've found that usually at least one of the parties feels a bit awkward about that, maybe slightly guilty, maybe an element of shame. And so we'll talk with them about, well, how can you guys? You know, you want your relationship to be on the right path and a path of love and trust. And what does that look like? And so we talk about that and, and unpack that. And, um, you know, we also talk about the nature of the marriage commitment and why does marriage matter anyway? And, and what is it? And why did God think up sexuality within marriage? Why did God think up this logical and loving limit that we call marriage in which our sexuality can really flourish? And so we'll talk about that. Um, and I just find that that really helps um, with couples. That's really good. Eric, I know when you spoke on relationship, you talked about an important element on forgiveness. And um, we have a question here. It says, I don't understand why we are meant to forgive someone who won't apologize. Um, if they don't think they've done anything wrong, then how can I move past it? Okay. How does forgiveness work? Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, Colin. Slightly. Right. <laughs> All right. Um, forgiveness. Yeah, I guess two things spring to mind with that question. Um, and if it's okay, we'll quote, quote the Bible here. We're in a church building. I think it's church building. Um, 
Matthew 7 and Romans 12. First off, in Matthew 7, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is talking, uh, he does the, the prayer, you know, our Father in heaven, and then he carries on, and then he talks about forgiveness, and he says, if you won't forgive, then my Father won't, won't forgive you. Very powerful statement there. And it's interesting, because Jesus kind of repeats that just a moment later, and he doesn't say that if I feel like forgiving, or if the other person meets my requirements for forgiving them, he basically just flat out says, if I won't forgive someone, they've sinned against me, then my Father in heaven will not forgive me. And he just makes it very, you know, cut and dry there. And therefore, in that context, context, I find that that type of forgiveness comes as a revelation. The Holy Spirit really has to turn the light on in my life about the nature of God forgiving me and seeing my own sins and sinfulness and me experiencing God's forgiveness and the wonderful liberty that that is, that I can then give that to other people, even if part of my brain says, oh, well, that person doesn't deserve that. Well, actually, I don't deserve forgiveness um, at all. But I see that when the the Holy Spirit turns the light on, um, and that's what changes me and enables me to forgive someone that maybe otherwise I wouldn't want to. And then second, in Romans 12, in verse 14, Paul's talking to the Christians in Rome, and in verse 14 he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's a really interesting verse, uh, because as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on me, in other words, uh, you over there, you know, I can't change your behavior necessarily, but I can change mine. And so it, it depends on me to keep my heart right and to practice a lifestyle of forgiveness, because then by me doing that, I can be a peacemaker. In fact, all the rest of the Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about leave room for God's wrath, and if someone is your enemy, well, do kind things to them and overcome evil with good. So that's his exhortation, I think, to that very thing you've just read out. Yeah, but... Also, let's be real, forgiveness is really hard sometimes, especially when that person who's hurt you so badly, and many of us have this, we're always hurt. It is a process that we end up having to go through. Sometimes it can take longer, especially when that person is constantly doing the same thing to you or whatever. But God says, forgive 70 times 7. And I think that um, it is a process. It's not something you can just open the door and go, I forgive you. It doesn't happen that way. And I think also um, forgiveness is is important because it's about you. If you don't forgive, it will eat you and tune you and drive you absolutely nuts. Um, And it just is not good for your health mentally, spiritually, or physically, frankly. And so forgiveness is a process, but it's a absolute, as Eric said, process. And yeah. one of the things, Eric, that you said on that night that really um, helps stick with me, because on, on a question like this, forgiveness, it, it's difficult because it feels like if you forgive someone who keeps doing it to you, then what they did didn't matter, like, or what they did was okay. And one of the things that just struck me is in, in the talk that you gave is that that acknowledgement that f- forgiving someone doesn't mean that what they did to you was okay, and forgiving them doesn't mean that it's all just disappeared and that the history is now gone. But instead, forgiveness is just taking your hand off their throat. You still have good boundaries. You still have really good processes. If someone has abused you or hurt you in the past, you don't immediately become buddy-buddy friends with them. And that's not what forgiveness is. Instead, it's taking your hand off their throat and instead turning towards Christ and allowing his healing to flow through you. And then you can let that go to that person. But it doesn't mean that what they did was okay. In fact, in the very word of forgiveness saying, I forgive you, you're acknowledging that what they did was not okay. 
So you can't forgive someone without acknowledging that truth. Yeah. And it's about trust, isn't it? It's about you can forgive them, but you don't necessarily need to trust them again mm. in that context. I remember years ago so in, the, in our old auditorium, I hadn't been coming along to BBC that long. Craig, you spoke a message on forgive and don't forget. And um, it was like you always hear that the saying forgive and forget. And the message you spoke was forgive and don't forget. And I remember you used the analogy if you went into business with somebody and they ripped you off. You can forgive that person, but to forget it and go back into business with them again, you'd be crazy, right? Mm, so it's foolish. It's, it's foolish, yeah. yeah. So it was like, I don't know whether you remember the message, but it was um, it was a big deal for me at the time to hear that it's okay to, I mean, you need to forgive, but it's okay to not forget what happened. I'll add one other element of this idea of character formation. Um, I found that um, if, I, if I had a person in my life, like what Michaela was saying, I would say, well, God, why is this person in my life? And almost invariably, God was trying to deal with something inside of me that he was trying to put his finger on and turn his light on. I had a job one time when I was younger in California where the boss that I reported to, he, he would verbally abuse me. He, he would use swear words and cuss words. Um, he would talk bad about me to my face. He'd talk bad about me to my coworkers. Um, he, was, he was a really bad guy. And um, I felt that part of my being there was God wanted me to learn to forgive this guy and to try and have a right heart towards him uh, while, while I was working there, even though it was incredibly unjust what I was experiencing. And in fact, I felt it was a test God wanted me to pass uh, if I was going to advance on into other areas that God had for me. So I hope that doesn't happen for you. Um, but, uh, but that was one example of this forgiveness, unforgiveness thing that was a kind of a test thing for me. I know for me, um, everything they've said is so true, that forgiveness is a process. And I think in my young Christian walk, I thought be, I would forgive and then the feelings would follow. And why am I still struggling? Does that mean I haven't forgiven? Um, and it was like this continual process where I thought I would feel differently towards a person. Um, and it was hard to know that it was going to take a while. And forgiveness doesn't mean, like they've said, reconciliation. Sometimes it's not wise to let an abuser back in your life. You, you, you forgive, and you take um, your hand off their throat, mm. and you move on. Mm. Um, but sometimes reconciliation isn't always going to happen, and you have That's to put right. boundaries on that. So um, right. it's a process, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and one, yeah, it takes a while. Forgiveness is beginning the process mm. to stop somebody living rent-free in your head. Right. Amen. Right. So good. Yeah, because uh, with this issue of of wrong, that person lives rent-free when you've got a spare moment, you're just cruising along, next thing that thing jumps back into your mind again, eh? Just like, oh, he's still living there, you know? Get out. Well, forgiveness begins the process of evicting that person out of your mind. So good. I did, Monica, you talked about um, that, that you don't instantly feel different about that person. This, this isn't in my notes, but I'm just wondering. So, so often you hear that uh, once, you, once you can forgive somebody for doing something or whatever the case may be, you, you instantly feel better and you feel lighter about it. Can you guys, is, is that really true? Can you guys give an example? Not an example of the details, but we hear this being talked, but in reality, is that what happens? Monica, you've touched on a little bit, but... So you're wanting to feel better about something? Is that... Um... Mm. I, I need to forgive the person yeah. that gave Monica and I a stool with no back and no cushy seats. 
when there's hundreds of them out here? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it depends on the type of hurt that was. Yeah, right. There are some things that are just, you know, like little fights or something that hurt your feelings. But there are things that hurt your soul, that wound mm -hmm. you to the depths. Yes. That's a longer process. Mm -hmm. I think yeah, it, it depends on the type of offense done to you. That's right. um, some things can't be taken lightly, and some things take years to work through. Mm -hmm. um, the process of, and then you think you're over it, and then it'll come back. You know, here comes crazy wearing a different dress. You know, it's just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, here we go again. And God is, there's another layer of healing to happen. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's a process. There's a whole process, and it keeps coming back in a different way. And God yeah. is so gracious. And where I can look back on some really deep, horrible stuff, and, man, I've moved a lot. Like God's been so gracious with that. It doesn't hurt like it used to. Mm. So and that's God. Yeah. Justice is a big thing in forgiveness as well because you feel so wronged and you go, it's just not fair. Yeah. Um, and so getting past the fact that you might not receive justice right. in the process and accepting that and going, well, giving them back to God, mm. giving them back to the Lord to do with what he needs to do with. Amen. It's not your problem. It's theirs. Let God do it. Yeah. It's your question. Yeah, it's not easy, eh? Mm. Um, I don't know. How are we for time? Are we good? We've got, got time for one more, I one think. One more. I think um, in this series, our most, relation, most important relationship at the end of the day is the one we have with the Lord. And I wanted to ask the panel... In this day and age, and as Christians and as people in leadership, I want to open this question up to you guys. How do you maintain your devotion, your relationship with the Lord, this day-to-day -day walk? Caleb, did you want to add Great something question. to that? Great question. Are you? Don't ask me that question. <laughs> it's actually really hard. I mean, let's be honest. You know, sometimes our days can be crazy and we're going well I don't feel very close to God today um, and I found that in my really busy times I found getting in the shower and just praying crying out to God praising him doing whatever it is that's on my mind <laughs> to be honest is um, is that really really special time I often have very long showers <laughs> Craig says, yeah that's true <laughs> yeah and then you know reading the word but I remember when I was, I was about 17 or 18 and I was at a point in my life where I had really hardened my heart to basically everybody. I couldn't feel love from friends, family or whatever. I was really kind of isolated within my existing relationships and that extended to my relationship with God. He felt really distant. I felt really alone and insecure of who I was as a person. I remember uh, there was a specific moment one night at, at, at church and he just really just kind of broke in and did some like this crazy in, in, intimate heart work on my heart and um, just this, this the whole moment was realizing that God is present God is caring about these small intimate details the, the small things like he is he is so there um, and that kind of that was that was a major point for me but it's always kind of come back to that kind of relationship regardless of what I'm going through good or bad hard or easy god is present in those moments and so i can i can talk to him uh, in, in, in a way that is it is bernie you know like for, for a long time i felt I, I carried the weight of you have to speak a specific language to interact with god you have to act a certain way interact with god and if you didn't do it that kind of you're kind of like 
God's kind of shaking his finger at you and come, come on, do better. Um, and that, that's, just not the, that's just not the case. Uh, so for me, it's not so much a, a casual thing. It's just, I just know that he's always present. And it's, and it's an intimate, he cares about the small things kind of way. And that's how I find day to day, I continue my relationship with Jesus. Um, I, I think it's, uh, it's always a challenge because God's alive, dynamic, just like any relationship. Um, but, I, you know, I think there can be a little bit of a, um, uh, a sort of a, a cult attitude towards me and Jesus. And as much as, you know, how's your devotional life going, me and Jesus, getting out of bed, me and Jesus. Um, the, the, the bottom line for me is I need other people. Mm. I desperately need other people around me because... Your prayers for me, Eric, are more powerful than my prayers for me. When I hear you praying for me or over me or any of uh, my friends or people that I know or get a chance to pray with, you know, I have an elders meeting and, you know, for maybe 30 seconds one of the elders will pray for me. I'll drive home with that prayer in my head and my heart. You know, and I, I need other people. And Christianity is made for community and communities made for Christianity. It's all centered around the sense of, um, you know, the word I have for you and the prayer I have for you will be more meaningful than the prayer that you pray yourself. Does it make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, so this is why I think we should just, you know, have a little bit more of a relaxed attitude around one another and pray for each other more normally, just as a normal part of... Our Christian activity. Yeah, yeah. I need other people. That is so good. I think the first step in that too is that there's that other saying that says, um, if I get it right, show me your friends, I'll show you your future, kind of that sort of thing. And for the first part, we need friends that we can pray with and that you can ask to pray for you and that you can pray for, for them. Because if we don't have that level of relationship with our friends because they may not be Christians or whatever the case may be, and that's got to be the first step, right, is to be in relationship with one another, that you can be open and vulnerable and pray with one another. Yeah. Because the reality is, me and Jesus, I love that. You know, I love that kind of relationship where I don't have to let anybody in. It's just me and Jesus. You know, I don't have to confess anything. I don't, you know, it's me and Jesus. And I know for me when I prayed, oh, God, you know, show me your grace or um, show me your mercy, God's going to bring people in my life to show that to me. People, when I'm vulnerable, you want grace? Well, someone's going to, you have to open up, and then they will show you some grace. Or you want some kindness? It's not going to waft on my pillow next to me. God, give me more. (laughs) Give me patience. Well, he's going to put me in a relationship where I'm going to have to, okay, here we go. It's going to be through people. Um, And it's so true. It's collab. And and to me, it's part of this series is uh, some of the most enriching relationships that have fostered my relationship with God have specifically come with people who are very different than me. You know, like it's yeah. it's been in, in journeying with people who are single that I've understood so much more of the nature and character of God. It's about hearing about spirituality from my Maori brothers and sisters as they talk to me about their history and their whanau, that it expands my idea of who God is. And to me, that's why this series is so fascinating because when we're able to reach beyond the bounds of ourselves and reach beyond the people who are like us and we begin to interact with those who are so radically different that's where we see the gospel. That's where it's coming to life. And in the New Testament, that's where it was, where these Jews and Gentiles who previously would never really come into contact, as soon as they started worshiping together, it presented a whole new reality to the rest of the Roman Empire that no one knew what to do with. And I think the same holds true today when we interact with those who are so very, very different from us and see God so very differently. 
you walk away enriched, I think, of your view of God. Eric. All right. Well, I'll, I'll um, present a slightly different uh, perspective in the sense that um, my experience has been is, is uh, I love this idea of friendship with God, and I just am blown away that over the years God has sought me out and wanted to have a, a friendship with me, which is just absolutely staggering. And uh, when, when the light goes on for you, if that has not happened for you yet, that's just one of the most incredible, amazing things to think you can, we can walk with God and know him and experience him and his presence and, and hear his voice. Uh, it's just the most incredible, amazing thing. And um, without a doubt, yet it happens in relationship with other people. But I've found that my walk with God, yeah, it has plenty of ups and downs and many experiences over the years. And something that, that changed my walk with God was a, a talk I heard by Bill Hybels where he talked about pathways and the fact that we, tend, we can experience God in, in different ways where, like for some people, it's, it's music and singing and you know, Christian praise and worship where they really sense God's presence. For another person, it might be being out, out, out in creation. And when they're out in creation... They just, wow, it's amazing how you can just sense God's presence. For another person, it might be study, that you study deep truths. And in that study, you really sense God's presence. Uh, or it might be serving. Um, I'm, I have a friend of mine, he just serves all the time. He used to drive me crazy because he's like a workaholic. His name's Kevin. I said, Kevin, why are you like this? And as we unpacked it, I discovered that for him is when he serves, he really feels God's presence on his life. And so I saw Kevin in a whole new light. It's like, oh, okay, that's what's happening for you. Um, and so when that thing went on for me, that really changed my, my walk with God. Like, for instance, I found that I need to be out, out in creation where I really experience God's refreshing and, and renewing in my life. And so when the light went on for that, that meant that that's important that I do that, that, that I get outside and have time in creation to, to renew my walk with God. So anyways, I'll just stick that in there, aside from the body of Christ dynamic, which, of course, is amazing. I'll just inject in that. There's a book called How People Grow by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. So and that's good. a brilliant book where they wrestle with spirituality and then particularly in small groups and being in relationship with other Christians. Great. Put a plug in for that. Cool. Well, I think that pretty well draws us to a, to a close. Let's give it up for these guys as they work. Thank Can you we have guys the band so come much. and join us, please? Thank you. Thanks, guys.